Welcome to the new episode of Starting Your Own Coffee Shop. I am Jerry Stolani, the founder of Cafe Chocolat in downtown DC. I had no experience when I started four years ago. And if I can do it, you can too. Tune in. The podcast finally has a home on the web at ristrettotime.com. R-I-S... T-R-E-T-T-O time, T-I-M-E dot com. Sorry, stratotime.com. And uh, the reason why I decided to set up a website is because I wanted to make sure that I gave you, the listeners, a way to provide feedback, to communicate back, uh, and also to let me know if there are things you want me to talk about, there are questions that you have, uh, issues that you're running into, and want a second opinion. Um, I would gladly love to uh, to help out. So it's also a good way to uh, provide feedback. So again, ristretotime.com. So I'd like to take this opportunity before we dive into the episode to thank one of our listeners, Paul. Paul, thank you for the amazing message. Good luck to you in your coffee business. You're doing the right thing, starting small and growing your footprint as you go along. Uh, do follow. I think this episode uh, that's coming up um, right now is going to be very, very important. We talk about how to choose the right supplier, the right coffee supplier. So I'm sure it's going to come handy for you in your business. Um, for all our listeners, whatever app you're listening in, whether it's Spotify or whether it's Apple Podcast, uh, please do subscribe. We'll start dropping episodes, or I'll start dropping episodes on Monday, every Monday. Um, so you'll be able to get get a, um, a warning, basically, every time we, we launch an episode that the episode is ready. So you'll be up to date. Um, and do provide comments. They definitely do help. Uh, it also helps me figure out what are some of the important messages that you guys want to hear. What are some of the topics that you want me to cover? Um, for uh, episode six, my guest is Mr. Travis Vaughn of La Colombe Coffee Roasters. Um, La Colombe is uh, the roaster, the main roaster that I used at Café Chocolat. And it was uh, very important for me to have Travis as a guest. One, because he is uh, very knowledgeable. Two, because choosing your coffee supplier is probably one of the most important things that you'll have to do when you start a coffee shop, right? You have to kind of understand who you're working with and why you're working with them. But also, um, we hope that with this interview, you'll be able to see what suppliers actually look for in a customer and what are some of the requirements there. Um, The conversation that I had with Travis ended up being over an hour and a half long so this uh, episode definitely is going is not going to be an hour and a half long Uh, so I've decided to split it into two parts episode six will be the first part of the conversation uh, where we talk about coffee roasters we talk about different coffees we talk about what uh, consumers like so it's not necessarily just him and I, you know, being coffee nerds and specifically talking about our favorite flavor profiles, but really more about why we choose the customers and the suppliers that we choose, uh, because that was obviously a big decision for me too. And I know it's going to help out um, 
some of the people that are listening to the episode or listening to the podcast, um, they're going to get to this point when they start out. Um, so they can see what my thought process was there and how it worked out for us. Um, the second part of the interview, uh, which I broke it down, it's going to be episode number seven. Uh, it gets into uh, some, I don't want to call it philosophical discussions, but definitely discussions about you know, what is the future of coffee roasting? What is the future of the coffee business? Um, what are consumers going to look for, you know, in this post-COVID world? And what are some of the things that, you know, can be done um, to, to build a successful um, coffee business? Um, and also we'll see, you know, from his perspective, what um, he thinks the trajectory is going to be there. And now let's dive into the episode. I'm excited to have here uh, somebody who I've always kind of looked up to, especially when it comes to coffee, when it comes to knowledge. Um, so I have Travis Vaughn. He is um, the area manager for La Colombe Coffee Roasters um, here in D.C. And um, Travis, um, so I'll just introduce yourself a little bit. And I actually wanted to kind of ask, do you do you just cover D.C. or is it a bigger area? Uh, with Jared, thanks for inviting me, man. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Um, I am the, let, let, let me stretch out my title a little bit. I am the re regional wholesale account manager for the Southeast region. Um, so okay. that covers everything about south of Baltimore and north of Atlanta is about my territory and then there's some random stuff out in oklahoma but you know wow do um i mean now with covid obviously not but do you do you get to travel a lot to these regions like pre-covid i pre-covid yeah i think i would do like my accounts in south and north carolina i'd probably do once or twice a quarter um we travel down to florida when we needed to maybe once a quarter uh, so yeah, I got around uh, a fair amount pre-COVID. Wow. Okay. Post-COVID, DC, Maryland, and Virginia, anything outside of that, we got to handle it over the phone. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. So how long have you been with uh, La Colombe? I started a week after the day we met back in January, oh. 2017. I remember that. Yeah. I remember that because you were in. Uh, you came into my second meeting mm -hmm. with um, with uh, La Colombe people. I don't, I don't remember the name of the guy, yeah. but, but I remember you coming in. The gentleman's um, name is uh, Sam Lipnick. He is the reason right. I work in coffee. Yep, that's right. You still keep in touch with him? I do. Yeah, he actually okay. just moved out to California and trying to set up shop out there. So yeah, I do. All right, that's cool. Is he still in coffee? Yeah, I think he's more on like a production bottling side for like some ready to drink uh, products. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's cool. Yeah. Um, I actually almost, uh, now that I think about it, I actually almost hired him like right before I opened it up. You probably remember this um, because I was so, I was so scared about the first week of opening the shop. I, that's when it hit me like, oh my God, this is, this is for real. 
like the shop is going to open. I'm going to have employees here. And you always think it's going to be a madhouse and you think it's going, you're going to mess up. And, um, and the guy um, um, said, yeah, and I think he, he quoted a something that I thought it was exorbitant, you know, in terms of, what he was going to be able to do for the first 10 days. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to take my chance. <laughs> if this place burns down, it is what it is, you know? Um, that first, that, that first shop, I feel like it's, and we could probably both attest to this. It's almost like having, it's almost like having a kid, man. Like you, you go into it with the best intentions, uh, knowing that you have no clue what you're doing. And we're just going to try to make sure that it's not on fire by the end of the day. Absolutely. I mean, and I had, I remember, I mean, now I think about it, I'm like, man, why was I so stupid? I had six employees and me seven um, on the first day, I want to say probably the first three weeks. I mean, I had people just kind of standing around <laughs> on the floor in the chocolate area just to kind of greet people, you know? Yeah. And I was spending, I don't know, five hundred dollars a day in payroll <laughs> you know uh that was yeah it wasn't a good choice but I, you know you you, you learn quick mm -hmm. um and then we started we started figuring out what to do with the labor from that point on um so i um I, before we started recording um we talked a little bit about why i chose la colombe right um, and I kind of want to bring that up here because I think it's I think it's really, really I think it's important. Um, there are on on my side why I chose La Colombe, absolutely strictly for the branding. Okay, that's it. You know. Um, now, now the other part of it is I loved Nita. I'd been to the La Colombe shop yes. on 14 in Florida, and like that espresso, like you just couldn't beat. Yeah. It. You just could not beat uh, when it's calibrated, when it's done right, and you know somebody's doing that knows how to do it, and the machine is taken care of. Yeah. It's a beautiful cup of coffee. Like I crave it. Yeah. You know, um, and you know, throughout the four years I've done this now, um, I've tried everything. I've tried counterculture. I've tried a lot of the smaller ones and, and some of the bigger ones. And, you know, once you have a shop, everybody comes into your shop trying to get you to switch coffee to theirs. Right. right. Um, and it just, well, I never switched for two reasons. One, just nobody could do, you know, um, an espresso like the Nita, um, at least in my opinion. Um, although I've tried Zeke's espresso. Mm. And I got to tell you, I was shocked. I, I expected that to be bad and their drip to be good. It was actually the, the, the opposite. It was the drip is very kind of uneven depending on the day you drink it. Um, and, and their espresso was, was really good. I mean, it's, it's a different type of profile than the meat size, a little bit fruitier, right. but, but it was, it was good anyway. So when I started, um, obviously you know, I knew chocolate, I didn't know coffee, and I was looking for partners. I I hit up uh, Stumptown, uh, Counterculture, and you guys. And, and, and Stumptown and Counterculture was more like a, a safe bet kind of thing, right? But what I wanted, and I wanted it to work out, was Yacolom, strictly for the branding, because at the end of the day, um, most people 
do not know coffee. They they kind of think they do. They kind of know what they like. And, but a lot of that is dictated based on, you, you know, uh, people taste with their eyes, right. right? Right. They don't really taste with their mouths, right? And And when you get into coffee, I feel like it's like wine, right? Everybody tells you they know wine, but like, I think I read a statistic that only um, roughly like 32% of the population has a certain type of gene that can actually dictate differences mm -hmm. in wine. Mm -hmm. So which basically tells you, you know, out of your three friends, only no, only one of them can actually tell the difference. The other two are telling you it's good, don't know what they're talking right. about. Um, so coffee was the same way. And to me, people just drank the brand. They didn't necessarily drink the coffee right so once they saw la colombe there and there was no la colombe in that region and colombe was hot when we started because mm. they had just started opening up shops i was like i gotta i gotta ride this wave this is the only way for me to get people to come there because they'll get la colombe that island um where i was so that's strictly it and then i stuck with it just because people obviously loved it we took care of it um and there was no reason for me to change and i've done I've done stuff with uh, Counterculture. I've done stuff with um, uh, Cervantes, you know. Um, obviously, the, the trip to Peru that I that I went to brought, brought tons of coffee back. But, yeah, Amen. just couldn't. I, uh, there's a couple points I really agree with you on. Um, I've always considered the idea that most people drink coffee like they drink orange juice. You know what I mean? Like no one really cares where the oranges are coming from. No one really looks at the ingredients in the bottle. They, they see it's orange, they see the Tropicana or they see the Simply, then they know that's what they want. They buy it, they drink it. They don't really think about it much. Um, yeah, whereas you and I treat coffee more like wine. Like I wanna know where the, the cherries were grown. I want to know how the seeds were harvested and processed, like all of that, the the terroir of it all, like all of that matters to us. So we treat it differently. Um, so I do agree yeah. with you in that sense. And um, I think when it comes down to the Nietzsche, which you mentioned, I mean, I've also worked with I don't know, ton, a dozen, maybe more coffee roasters. Um, when I was a baby barista, Stumptown taught me coffee. That was my entire coffee world for a while. I have not come across a roast for espresso that's as consistent as Nietzsche is. And I think to your point, when it comes to open a shop, like that's something you need. So even if it's the branding or this particular coffee, like that consistency that will allow your mind to kind of focus on other parts of your business. It's, it's essential at the least. Um, and yeah. it's, I think is one of our best uh, showings of that consistency for sure. Hey, are you familiar with uh, vigilante? Yeah, absolutely. My parents house what is you... right around the corner from the first vigilante in Hyattsville. What do you think? I love that? Vigilante. I did like a whole love letter to one of their Ethiopian coffees. I do like these Saturday morning coffee reviews. Um, I think Vigilante does a phenomenal job. Uh, it's also even shocking to me the way they roast in their cafe environment. Of course, pre-COVID when people were inside the cafe, 
I always, I always right. find that challenging that people are able to watch the roasters do their thing and communicate with them while they're roasting. And it's an open room that's uh, subject to all these changes in temperature and pressure and all these things. And they still put out a phenomenal product. Um, I always found that really intriguing because most roasting facilities are shut off by themselves, kind of standalone right. places. Um, whereas Vigilante made, made it a community kind of environment. Um, yeah, I have nothing, nothing negative to say about those guys, man. They make a fantastic uh, cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think um, I'm sure you've probably been there. Qualion uh, in February. Ah, uh, they also have a similar type of setting where there's see, like a small machine. And in, in, in that environment, I don't think it works as well. Um, I lived Why? around the corner from Qualia for three years. Um, I don't think in that time frame I ever got two cups of coffee that were the same. Every day, no matter which one I was drinking, which mm -hmm. one I chose, every day it was something different. Um, so I, I think that's a perfect comparison where they're also roasting in the shop. It's a community environment. People are coming and going right. as their production process is happening. And I don't think they yeah. get as consistent results because of it. It's still a great cup of coffee. If you, if you have one, it'll be great. No problem. But I think what I started to notice since I was going there every day it's like no two cups of coffee are the same. And that consistency, while it probably doesn't matter much for their business model, as a consumer, it like affected me greatly, you know? Yeah, yeah. What do you think of uh, counterculture? Um, branding, I think they do a fantastic job. I love the way their stuff looks. Uh, I love kind of the focus that they try to, to lend to like their producing partners. So the farmers, the processors, the exporters, the importers, I think they do a very good job at telling the story of the bean. Um, philosophically in the coffee world, I have some differences with them that kind of prevents me from patronizing their business. Um, okay. uh, yeah, but I, I don't know. I think they did a good job at creating a brand and establishing it as like a specialty coffee kind of foundation. Like when people on the East Coast, particularly in the South, think specialty coffee, they generally think counterculture. So I think they did a good job right. at that. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I love their local team, right? Uh, the counterculture local team. Uh, I've met them a bunch of times and um they're they're really nice. I've spent some time at the lab too. I mm. love the lab. Um, I could literally move in there if they <laughs> let me. Um, but um, but one of the, you know I've had a lot of discussions with them about just branding in general, and I don't think roasters really kind of get this. And I think this is really important if you're starting out in your own coffee shop and you and you're not a coffee snob. Um, most coffee roasters really brand stuff for the you know two to ten percent of the population that love coffee like right. they love wine yeah you know like like 90 percent of the public that goes into a a, a shop that uses counterculture or cervantes or name throw any of these 
um, places that don't necessarily have a retail location, right? Like they couldn't care less what the brand of coffee was and they don't really know the brand of coffee and rarely do they go and ask, you know, I only go here because they have counterculture or they have that, right? So when they would come to my shop and they'd say, listen, you have to switch to mine because mine is better and nine out of 10 people love our coffee better than let's say La Colombe. You know, the answer to, to me was well, if I changed yours, if I changed to yours, then I lose why right. people come here. Right. People come here right. for the brand. They, I honestly, as long as I kept like a lump on the door, I could put anything yeah. in that machine. Yeah. I mean, anything. And people would be like, I love this coffee because this is like a lump yeah. and I love 98% right? of people. Coffee's coffee. It doesn't matter. They're going to put milk and sugar in it anyway. It's all going to taste the same. Uh, they don't matter. What Locke alone was able yeah. to do over like 20 some odd years was start off trying to figure out how to make good coffee. So like a good solid cup of coffee. And then they've kind of spent the last 10 years becoming a brand, right? So like we're more so now like this brand that sells coffee uh, opposed to what you're speaking of with like roasters are almost marketing to other coffee aficionados, not the 98% of people that actually drink the coffee. But so I I understand. I mean, it sounds to me like you're a little bit upset. You know, but I can tell you, yeah, I can tell you, you know, so from from a from a branding and marketing perspective, you cannot survive if you're specialty. You cannot survive by selling to 5% yeah. of the population, yeah. you know, um, it's, it's impossible for you to survive. I mean, who cares? Like nobody goes home with a trophy that says true coffee drinkers drink only my coffee, but sorry guys, there's not a lot of them out there. Yeah. So I couldn't be in business for the next five years. Right. I mean, think of everything else. Like in order for you to survive, you have to be middle of the road. You have to be like a tent kind of umbrella brand right so like i think they saw um what's the name of that company a uh, blue bottle blue bottle that got sold mm -hmm. to nestle for 700 million dollars right and they had what 23 yeah. locations at the time and if you look at blue bottle man it's a brand that's all they sell they sell a blue yeah. bottle sticker but they sell it for 700 mm -hmm. million dollars you know and and honestly as much as you love coffee, at the end of the day, you know who's winning? The person that gets sold yeah. $700 million. <laughs> not not the person that makes $1,000 a month in, in you know uh, earnings. Especially now um, in this new era that we're trying to understand. I mean, the brands are winning over the roasters uh, for certain, right? There's, there's, there's no way. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I have friends that have smaller roasters in the DC Maryland area. And I'm honestly professionally trying to follow their footsteps. Like I want to figure out how to source coffee, how to roast it, um, how to pack it and ship it. So it's still fresh when it gets to the other end. Like that's the personal professional path that I want to try to understand. But I also appreciate that in this era, if it wasn't for La Colombe having built this huge brand around the coffee that we make, like I probably wouldn't be employed. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fair. Fair enough. Yeah.
Fair enough. So do you you want to get into Oh those yeah. Things? I'm I I think this year has kind of taught me that um where I want to go moving forward is definitely working directly with farmers trying to ensure that they're compensated more than fairly for the product that they export um and then roasting it myself understanding i'm just trying to work my way as close to the source as possible i feel like i've spent most of my almost at the end game where it's like we're the last link in the chain that gets the beverage to the guest that's going to enjoy it like where that I, I manage that last link in the chain and I'm trying to work my way back to the source. Um, yeah, we can, we can definitely talk offline. Um, I met a lot of people in Peru and it was, um, it was pretty nuts because I, I literally had farmers. They would come to me like with not a word of English and I would have to literally stop somebody walking by who would speak a word of English and be like, can you translate for me, please? And, and uh, I'm telling you, man, you know, so here's the interesting thing that's happening. Cause I, I think, I think you should look into Peru, uh, the source, because here's the funny thing that's happening there. So Peru is actually the fourth largest supplier mm -hmm. of uh, coffee in the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, um, USAID spends a lot of money as their, uh, as part of their war on drugs uh, by subsidizing coca mm -hmm. farmers to destroy their coca plants and plant cacao or coffee instead. Okay. Okay. So you, you have these farmers who, you know, have these plantations and farms like in the middle of the jungle and, um, they've been growing coca leaves right. <laughs> you know for, right. for the past 50 years and now all of a sudden they're getting money from the US government to destroy the crop and plant coffee but they have no understanding of coffee or they have no understanding of the of the cacao plant you know um and and they would come to me and be like listen you know just we'll, we'll give you half of the crop just teach us what to do with it because I, you know, and I don't know coffee that well, but, but when it comes to uh, the cacao tree, I mean, it takes roughly about five years from the moment you actually plant the seed until it produces right. something that you can use, you know, so for the next five years and it's very fragile, you know, it gets all kinds of diseases and things like that. So you're, you're investing five years of your life, you know, in hopes that you're going to get a crop. So you need all the help you can get. And literally, I mean, people were coming to me, uh, uh, you know, and they were saying, we'll give you just 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 help us out. And I'm not I'm not in agriculture, so I don't really know how to do that. Um, but honestly, you know, that's that's really kind of and I'm and I'm putting this out there an untapped market. You know, if you want to make a lot of money, go to <laughs> I'm going to write that uh, down for later. Put that in my notebook. Yeah. <laughs> right. Write that down before this goes public. Um so so yeah that yeah we'll 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 talk because um there's there's definitely um and if you if you're really interested you know we can we can get some uh coffee get some green beans sent over here. man yeah roast them on an open absolutely. fire but it, it has <laughs> yeah it has to be the problem is once you ship from there you have mm -hmm. to ship in containers you know so so you need to you need to kind of 
know where you're storing it. You have to be ready for all the the finicky stuff that you know when you're shipping green is, um, you know, storage and preservation and things like that. So, so it's a it's a it's a bigger project. I I honestly personally didn't think, especially with COVID. Uh, I feel like roasting, and and you you're closer to this than I am, but I feel like roasting is a little bit like the microbreweries for beer, where they're just everywhere. Everybody is brewing coffee, or everybody's making special right. chocolate bars. Um, it's just too many of them. I think it's becoming think, oversaturated. I mean, I was yeah. on Google yesterday looking up home roasters which i mean five years ago there were maybe three or four that were worth getting that kind of did and now there's countless count every company that makes anything that heats up also now makes a home coffee roaster um so i don't know do you think do you think the oversaturation of the roasting market is helping or hindering the small the small business cafe because i mean now you have countless options so you can have a lock alone to kind of hold down the fort our espresso is nizza that won't change it's familiar you know it uh but now you can also bring in a different small it's a week my opinion is you have to stick with just oh. one supplier for two reasons yeah one is consistency you always get the same products that you've always ordered and two simplicity right from a from a customer standpoint this guy's got la Colombe coffee um i think when you have when you try to activate different brands and i've tried this at the shop several times and i've also known you know other places where they've tried it it just doesn't work you know, it just doesn't work. So, for example, I would have two espressos. I would have the Cervantes espresso and I would have the Nizza, right? Right. And the only people that ordered Cervantes, you know, were the people that knew the Cervantes brand. So what happened was I would open up, a, a, what is it, like a, a five-pound bag of Cervantes, right. you know, fill up the hopper, and it would literally take me a good a month to go through that hopper, Right. And by that time, like I had to throw a lot of it out because you can't just leave right. open beans out in the air for a month, right? So so it was just a waste. And and most people just wanted a cappuccino. And then now you'd have to train your staff or a latte. You'd have to train your staff to ask if you want the house brand or do you want the specialty one that we have this week. And people don't care. They're like, unless it's somebody who really kind of knows the lot and they're like well let me try something different because i've always drank the same one here so so you won't really use that much of it and it's such a waste and it's you're confusing your people the staff is always confused because you know they're not going to ask right they're just going to be like you want a cappuccino let's go they'll just go to the same one they i don't know man i feel like i would time. have to disagree only because my career in coffee from day one, like when we opened up Slipstream on 14th Street, we were working with Madcap, um, a roaster out of Michigan exclusively. Like we only had Madcap, but we had okay. we had five or six different Madcap coffees in the shop at any given time. 
we have five or six different madcap coffees okay. in the shop at any given time. So it's like it's one roaster, but we've got all these different options. And it was almost up to the barista to decide which one they were going to, if they, if they, guests didn't choose one uh which one they were going to use for a particular drink or which one they thought was tasting better that day and then when i after a few years in when i moved over to work with the velasquez family at uh baked and wired and a bake joint especially when we opened up a bake joint we had i mean i don't know we had at least two espressos uh, espresso beans on the hoppers every day we had maybe four or five different pour over options from each from different roasters. So there was always at least five or six different roasters building at a time. And I don't, I don't know. I never found it to be cumbersome. It was never really confusing. Yes, we would dial the coffee in in the morning. We decide which ones were tasting better with milk and which ones tasted better black. And we just kind of, bang through five pound bags like hundreds of pounds a week without any without any hiccups really so yeah that's that's i mean that's that's fair i think you have to take in consideration the size right you have to consider you have to take in consideration also the location like when when people come to bake them wired you know there's a line out the door at any time of the day any day of the week Right. So you at the end of the day, um, they're they're coming there for and again, you know this better than I do, um, but they're they're coming there for for a lot of the pastry stuff they would do, like a lot of the things like that. And then at that point, coffee is just basically the drink that you get on the side. Right. So you're if your baristas are the one like at Slipstream, for example, if your baristas are the one making the choice, what coffee to grind then it's not a matter of choice from a customer standpoint it's just a matter of volume right you're going you're you you have that luxury because you have so much volume you can use whatever you want at a at a shop like mine where you know this this was downtown dc people right. were in a hurry right. nobody gave a shit you know i mean uh, at the end of the day they they you'd see them one day at the starbucks across the street and then you'd see the next day at, at my shop right yeah, that's um, fair. That's fair. So, so for me, for me, I think you know what would be an interesting, like a good kind of comparison. Even that is 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 more on the slipstream, uh, baked and wired side. Uh, the coffee mm-hmm. bar on on SN twelve, right? DCB, like they've always done this. They've always had like a guest coffee from somewhere, um, intelligentsia or whatever, wherever they get it. But um they've all they've always and the thing with them is i think it's a it's a training they spend a lot of time like really focused on training their staff on what to say you know because every time you go there they'll be like do you want the host one or do you want the whatever whereas at my shop you know i mean maybe it was it was a bad reflection on my part you know But, but at my shop we're like you know uh all right what do you want <laughs> you know uh, it's fair though because you want to make it easy on people like you don't want to hang people up especially shop was like you know people are coming down from their office they're trying to get their cortado drink it relax for a moment and then get back to the hustle um so yeah you don't really want to get wrapped up in the four different roast profiles and what they mean and how they'll taste um 
yet. Yeah, and I also I also focused on you know the way I ran the shop was I didn't ask for the latte to be perfect or or any of these which I call even though they're like the main drinks right like mm -hmm. the number one drink we sold was a latte the second one was a cappuccino right um, even though they're the main ones we sold I I wasn't as picky about the quality of those because at the end of the day. Yeah. It all comes down to the espresso. If the espresso was 100% on point, yeah. your data yeah. was going to be good no matter what, right? So I only focused and I always try to keep things simple. Like I always ask my staff and that's when I spend time training. I didn't care, you know, if they pushed a certain type of espresso or if their words, what the selling type of words, I just wanted them to put out an amazing cup of espresso yeah. and an yeah. amazing cup of hot chocolate. That's it. Like that's that's when we went to like alarms would go off if I tried the coffee or the chocolate and it wasn't right. what I what I thought it was going to be, um, and that's it because I wanted it to keep very very simple. And in this industry, you know this better than I do, um, man. The the turnover yeah. ratio is four hundred percent. Yeah, a year. So basically, you you literally turn the crew over four times over a period of a year. So you're constantly bringing in new people and you're constantly having to train. And and if you were like me, where I actually had, you know, a baby and a full-time job outside of the coffee shop, man, you didn't have time for anything. You just wanted things as simple as possible that you can just literally put somebody behind the bar and just be like, just do what you've done for the past two years, yeah. Yeah. but we'll check your quality. Really? So, so that's, that's on my side but to answer your question because you asked me um about the coffee roasters whether it's a better thing now that there's so many of them i would say i would say i mean if you look at it from a choice perspective yes you have a lot of choice but nobody from cares. a consumer standpoint that's fair nobody i cares. think that's fair you know whether it comes from you or it comes from somebody else Unless it's like you go in like, oh, the coffee is great today. And even that is is such a, a fleeting moment because tomorrow you might have somebody else at the bar who's just not at, as good at temping or frothing or whatever the situation may be that even though you have the best coffee in there, the output is terrible. Right? So I think and that's, it, it, that's I was not, just to, thinking, not to discourage so you in way, right? I am the 2% coffee nerd who loves the experience of coming in the shop one day. The coffee's great. So I make it a point to come back the next day. There's another barista. The coffee's a little off. And now I know what's happening. Like that that moment is <laughs> like, that's why I go to coffee shops. <laughs> so, But I, I understand that that's the 2% of people that that search for that experience within cafes. Most people are just trying to come, get what they're familiar with, uh, get it with a smile and have a great day and be out on their way. Yeah, I focused more on, so the definition of a service is that you don't get the same product all the time, right? Like the definition of, of uh, a product versus services, when you go get an iPhone, 
whatever iPhone it is, it's going to be exactly right. like the other iPhone that's right. the same model, same year, same everything, right? Whereas with service, you don't. You know, you could go to a five-star hotel and it's not going to be the same service right. every day or even an hour later, right? right. Depending on the, on the person. And to me, because of that, what I focused on, and I'll tell you, this was actually pretty funny. Um, I focused on the atmosphere. Like I wanted the atmosphere to be exactly the same every time you came in. Because the product, you know, it changes depending on who's working there. Right. But the atmosphere does not change, right? You play the same music, you know, you you people react the same way, your staff right. treats people the same way. You know what I mean? Like there's there's it's a it's a it's a it's it's hard to change the atmosphere, right? Um and um and I had spent so much time, like even in my head before we designed the shop or I designed the shop. I had, I had, I even had pictures of what oh, wow. my barista had to look like, right? Dude, I will we'll sit one day and we'll go mm. through. I would make presentations to myself about what I was gonna put out, as if it wasn't me who was gonna put it out, you know. Uh, and I would go over those presentations right. and fix it as if I was going into a board meeting. Um, and I sat down with Derek one day and I showed him the pictures. I swear to God, dude. We had to do a double <laughs> because the guy me, looked exactly the for like that. Like I am telling you, you know, the beard, the beanie, the tattoos, the I mean, it was like it was like, it was like that's that, hilarious. Like, oh, man. that that guy looks like you. <laughs> but to because to me that was really what made that place. What made that place was two things. One is that building and it was designed specifically that i designed it that way the building was an old building and every mm -hmm. shop in there had been in there for 30 years right so you go in and you walk right. into your grandma's jewelry store that right. looks exactly like it looked back in the 70s right with the same wood um and then you walk into cafe Chocolat and it was this like black white crimson place that that looked like it was plucked out of either San Francisco or New York, or people would come to me and say, man, are you, are you guys from right. Portugal? Cause I've seen something like this in Portugal. And, and to me, that was like a check. We did the right thing uh, because you, you wanted that sense of walking in here and going, wow, I had no idea this place was here and this place looks awesome. Right. Um, so that was the, the first part. And the second part was, we wanted to make this as friendly as possible because in that area, most people weren't used to friendly service. Everybody's rushing in. I mean, you have you you didn't have you didn't expect a neighborhood coffee shop in the middle of downtown. You know, and and I think honestly, that's that's really what made that place. Um, but going back to going back to your coffee roasting thing. No, um, I haven't. Have um, you started? And just like a kudos to you. I mean, Cafe Chocolat was the only warm place on that entire block. Um, I mean, I'm sure people listening either know where it is. Thanks, or man. Picture kind of where 14th, 15th and 8th Street is. Um, everything's glass and concrete and like deep mahogany wood just like you said it's like walking in the like old ebbit grill like every little spot felt like that and then cafe chocolate was this That's clean right. but not sterile it was organized but not 
like uh kind of manic you know what i mean like it had a homey feel to it like it was warm you come in the owner's here he greets you uh derek is is here um and now it all of a sudden feels cool and there's music that's playing that you may have heard yeah. on your like apple music playlist that you weren't familiar with but now you're hearing it again like oh, okay there's something different happening here um and i think that makes all the difference because like i said before Thanks, people man. can get coffee anywhere most people don't care um what people want is that experience that either makes their day warmer than it was either physically or emotionally um or they just need a break from their office that's so tight and defined and then you come in cafe chocolate and jared just having like some esoteric conversation with somebody <laughs> about something and it, it just gave it was it was the only place in that entire on that entire block that felt that way um so kudos man thanks man thanks i mean coming from you that's uh it's 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 a huge compliment thank you because i mean you you've gone into so many places yeah, you've seen so many places so that's that's awesome um speaking of that so as a, from a supplier standpoint, right? What what do you look for in, in coffee shops that you're partnering oh, with? What do I look for in coffee shops that I'm partnering with? Um I mean, you know, from a from a supplier, like not necessarily you, because there might be some things that you specifically look for, but generally speaking, might not be a big deal or might be a big deal, right? Um just just from like if you're because I can tell you one of the things is so right. stump down okay. just said no um you know just i said and i was i was kind of expecting a lot of these uh roasters to just come in and be like yeah you know and uh actually believe it or not wow, counterculture said no um yeah so and i mean and i think it was just that guy because we've had discussion later on and they they you know kind of apologized that uh that was the case um but but so basically my plan B is that's that's intriguing. Man. <laughs> I know? um I haven't uh, I've maybe yeah. visited three, maybe four accounts in my time with Lockaloom where it was like, yeah, no, we're not gonna work uh here, we're not gonna partner with these people. And it's always as far as I can remember, it's always been because we knew it was gonna be a bad relationship. Right. Like we knew the owner was going to be difficult to yeah. work with or they have like some history in the city, you know, because D.C. is a small town. Everybody knows everybody. Um, you've got like this track record where we feel like you're not going to pay your bills on time. Like something's going to be more difficult than us to work right. with for us to work with. So it's more than just like investing the equipment or investing the time and the training and all these things um we just like something about it won't be worth it if we have to deal with these people every day um so usually when i'm the first thing i think about when i enter a shop is just i talk with the owner and see if we can have a conversation outside of like what we need to do with coffee um if we can develop a relationship or even an understanding is good enough you know everyone doesn't need to be your friend but we need to at least be on the same page. Um, I, of course, respect what they do professionally. I would like them to respect what I do professionally. 
um, the way we speak to each other. Um, I think those things are the most important um, as far as like who Lock Loam and this market decides to partner with. But me personally, one thing I pay attention to when I enter a space is just the flow of it. Like one thing I always do is I walk from the front door straight to the espresso machine, right? Because um, for two reasons. One, I think that shows a good flow for how people are naturally going to flow through your space. Um, and I think that's important. Like when people come yeah. in, they they kind of want to know where to go. You don't want people to come in and be like, oh, where's the line? Where do I stand? What's next? Um, so I think that's important, how things flow from the front door. And two, from like the barista standpoint, if I'm at the machine, I need to see what the path is to the front door. Because I mean, working in D.C., I worked in downtown D.C., things can get a little crazy sometimes. And sometimes you got yeah. to make a beeline to the yeah. door and either lock it or get somebody out or, or something, right? Um, so those are the two things I look at. The, the people I'll be working with because I'm their coffee guy for the duration of the time they sell Lock Alone coffee. Um, so just like you, I've known you for going on four years now. Um, and then just how the space flows, if, it, if it's conducive for like a good environment and then we can kind of figure out what's not working and I can offer my, my advice on how we could how we could adjust it. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. Now on the flip side, um, what should, you know, coffee shops look for in supplier? I think, um... Okay, we've finally come uh, to the end of the first half of my interview with Travis Vaughn of La Colombe. On the second part of the interview, which will drop the following Monday, we talk a little bit about the future of the industry. We talk a little bit about trends in roasting. Um, and then we also spend some time talking about things about the industry um, that we like or dislike. So please continue to stay tuned. Um, and uh, we have more episodes coming um, in the following Mondays. Um, so with, uh, with that, I will um, catch back with you in a week. Have a good rest of the week. Well, here we are at the end of this episode. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, keep an eye out for future episodes. We'll be bringing in uh, some people with some deep knowledge in various areas of running and owning a coffee shop or a coffee business. Um, so we'll give you guys chances to ask questions um, or even get live on one of our episodes as well. So until then, have a good rest of the day.